Good morning from the Financial Times. Today is Friday, August 25th, and this is your FT News Briefing. Russian President Vladimir Putin broke his silence on Yevgeny Prigozhin's death. What this shows to the Russian elite is that you know anyone you know who thinks that, that Putin is weak, you know who, who has any ideas, you know they will be thinking twice. The emerging markets group BRICS is majorly expanding, and Turkey's central bank is majorly raising interest rates. We'll take a look at whether it'll make a difference against surging inflation. I'm Mark Filipino, and here's the news you need to start your day. Vladimir Putin has confirmed that Yevgeny Prigozhin died in a plane crash on Wednesday. Prigozhin led his military group Wagner in a failed coup earlier this summer against Putin's government. Here to discuss is the FT's Moscow bureau chief, Max Seddon. Max, how you doing? It's been quite the day, I can tell you that. Yeah, it's been a wild few days since news broke that Prigozhin died. What have we learned? Vladimir Putin said initial data indicates that Yevgeny Prigozhin was indeed on his private plane when it crashed on a flight from Moscow to St. Petersburg. And to give you an idea of what it's been like trying to confirm this, even though Russian aviation officials put out the flight manifest that had Yevgeny Prigozhin listed as one of the passengers, this is someone who led such a mysterious life that even that wasn't really convincing because he's been known to pay people to change their names to Yevgeny Prigozhin and sign his name in official documents to try to obscure where he is and what he's up to. Can we say, though, Max, that this was an assassination at this point? We don't know. There is no official version of what happened yet. Putin said that it would take time. Uh, But at the same time, Putin has said many times over his career that the one thing that he can't forgive is uh, treason. And even though he reached a deal with Wagner to end the mutiny, he said before that that they would answer for betraying the motherland. So everyone that I've been speaking to over the last 24 hours in Moscow and members of the Russian elite who were out of the country, they are pretty close to unanimous in thinking that this was ordered from the top in Russia. Now, Max, a lot of people thought Prigozhin was a dead man walking after the failed coup, but he was out and about, even reportedly recruiting in Africa for Wagner. It seems like a lot of freedom for someone who should be looking over their shoulder. The obvious explanation seems to be that one, um, Wagner's operations in Africa are, are very significant asset to Russia. They've helped Russia win over a lot of allies by deploying mercenaries in conflicts in in countries like the Central African Republic, Mali, Libya. And this was something that was really built around Prigozhin and this man's personal connections with those client state. This is something they couldn't take over overnight. The other um, indication I got is that Prigozhin appears to have believed that things are broadly okay and that he'd be able to get back into Putin's good graces at some point. And uh, one way that that looks now to to a lot of people is that Putin had just decided that revenge was uh, a dish best served cold. They were just preparing to uh, do essentially some kind of a demonstrative murder. So what are the lessons we can take away from the last few months of Prigozhin's life? 
really, you know, if, if you're going to launch a coup, even if you're saying during your coup that it's not against Putin, it's just the defense minister, you have to think that your days are numbered after that. You know, you, you nearly started the civil war. You nearly brought about the collapse of the entire state, you know, during the biggest war there has been in for many decades. And what this shows to the Russian elite is that, you know, anyone, you know, who thinks that, that Putin is weak, you know, who, who has any ideas, you know, they will be thinking twice. It's like in The Wire, you know, come with the king, you best not miss. Nice. Gotta love a good reference to the TV show The Wire. That was the FT's Moscow Bureau Chief, Max Seddon. Thanks, Max. Thanks so much. The Emerging Markets Group, BRICS, has invited six more countries to join. They include Saudi Arabia, Iran, and Argentina. It's the first expansion in over a decade. Now, this is a big win for China, a current member. It's trying to create a bigger rival to the G7. And South Africa's president said this is just the first phase of their expansion plans. BRICS is also looking into how to reduce their reliance on the U.S. dollar when trading with one another, and some members have suggested creating a common currency for the bloc. Turkey's central bank raised interest rates by 7.5 percentage points yesterday. It's the third big rate rise in as many months. Here's the FT's Adam Sampson in Turkey. I guess the thing to realize about Turkey is inflation here is really, really high. It was nearly 50% in July. It's expected to go to 60% in um, by the end of this year. So in order to tackle that, you need to really, really increase interest rates. And that's why this move is much, much bigger than sort of, you know, the quarter point moves you might see in developed markets like the U.S. or the U.K. or Europe. Um, you know, even now, interest rates are way, way lower than the inflation rate. So economists expect that they're going to have to go even higher um, to even start really making a dent. This is a big break from what President Recep Tayyip Erdogan had previously championed. Remember, this is the guy that called high interest rates the mother and father of all evil. That is a real thing that he said. And Adam says investors are wondering if Erdogan will allow this tighter monetary policy to continue. The problem is there's really important local elections here next March, um, particularly in Istanbul and Ankara, uh, Turkey's two biggest cities. And there's a fear that if the economy is starting to look kind of ropey before those elections, because interest rates are higher, because growth is slower and all that, then Erdogan may turn around and say, OK, we've got to get rid of these policies. We're going to go back to my previous policies of big stimulus measures, low interest rates and all that. Um, and I think that's why we've seen investors have been very, very cautious about reentering Turkey's markets. We haven't seen really big inflows at all, despite the fact that the picture is looking better. People are a little bit more optimistic. People are also very, very cautious at the same time. Adam Sampson is the FT's Turkey correspondent. Before we go, we bring you a story that has to do with the pharmaceutical industry and horseshoe crabs. Horseshoe crabs are an incredible species that has been around for about 400 million years in virtually an unchanged form. Ben Levitin is a senior attorney at Earth Justice, and he's been working with horseshoe crabs for years now. They can be about the size of dinner plates with a hard shell on the back and legs coming out from underneath that shell. Their numbers are rapidly dwindling because the biomedical industry uses their blood to test products like vaccines for impurities. 
horseshoe crab blood has this really cool quality where if it encounters an impurity, it clots to prevent that impurity from spreading throughout the horseshoe crab. And that same characteristic can be used to test for impurities and products that are going to be implanted into humans. The practice has come under pressure from environmentalists like Ben, who have advocated that companies use a cloned substance instead of horseshoe crab blood. This week, a nonprofit that sets standards for American-made medicines proposed new rules for using the synthetic alternative. And if the rules are finalized... Pharmaceutical companies will be able to put the synthetic on the same level as the horseshoe crab-derived product. The synthetic would eliminate the need for harvesting horseshoe crabs. And there you have it. Hope for some of Earth's oldest creatures. You can read more on all of these stories at FT.com for free when you click the links in our show notes. This has been your daily FT News Briefing. Make sure you check back next week for the latest business news. Oh, and one more thing. Our FT Weekend Festival is back on Saturday, September 2nd in London. Speakers include Jesse Armstrong, Rachel Reeves, and many others. As a briefing listener, you can claim a special discount. and We've got that promo code in our show notes. The FT News Briefing is produced by Sonia Hudson, Fiona Simon, and me, Mark Filipino. I'd like to welcome our new senior producer, Kasia Brusalian, to the team. She started with us this week. Our engineer is Monica Lopez. We had help this week from Josh Gabbard-Doyon, Monique Malima, David De Silva, Michael Lello, and Gavin Coleman. Our executive producer is Topher Forges. Cheryl Brumley is the FT's global head of audio, and our theme song is by Metaphor Music. Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new edition of the Capital Ideas Podcast. In unscripted conversations with investment professionals, you'll hear real stories about successes and lessons learned, informed by decades of investment experience. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. New episodes are available monthly. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes in an episode today. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc. Hi, this is Janice Torres from Yo Quiero Dinero. From a local business to a global corporation, partnering with Bank of America gives your operation access to exclusive digital tools, award-winning insights, and business solutions so powerful, you'll make every move matter. Visit bankofamerica.com slash bankingforbusiness to learn more. What would you like the power to do? Bank of America N.A. Copyright 2024.